0: We're going to get into our message for today, so I want to invite you to hold your Bible in your hand. Uh, Those of you reading from your cell phones, you can hold it, lift it up real high, shout this is my Bible, I believe what it says I am, I can do what it says I can do, I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer, not just a hearer, today I will learn from God's word. And my life will never be the same because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're still talking about living victoriously. Amen. Uh, we started this series, I think, six weeks ago, and we've been uh, journeying uh, through it and talking about what the Bible has to say about living our lives in a place of victory. How many of you think it's a good idea to live your lives victoriously? Amen? So I'm in the right place. God thinks it's a good idea too. So let's go to our foundational scripture, which is 1 John chapter number 5, verse 4. 1 John chapter number 5, verse 4. Thank you, Jesus. It says, for whoever or whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. And it tells us how this person overcomes the world. And it says, this is the victory that overcometh the world. What's that victory? Even our faith. Now let's read the same verse in the New Living Translation. So there's a victory that overcomes the world and it is called our faith. Amen. And it says in the New Living Translation for every, someone say every. I like it because it didn't say for some. I love it because it didn't say for the exclusive club in the Christian community. I like it because it didn't say for the fivefold. It says for every child of God. I like it. I'm an every child of God. Amen? He says, for every child of God defeats this evil world. He's talking about the world system. That comes partly to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, every child of God defeats this evil world system. And we achieve this victory, how? Through our faith. So there's a victory that is available for you and I that defeats the world. And he says here we achieve this victory through our faith. Once he said that, I got curious. I wanted to know what faith is. I said, if there's a victory, if there's a place in God where I can live victoriously and uh, the Bible is giving me a guarantee that I can live victoriously through this thing called faith, I want to know what this faith is, what it looks like and not only that i want to know where it can be found is it in randberg is it in lagos nigeria is it in dc washington is it in guatemala is it where is it is it with prophet uh, you know i won't say his name i want to find out where this faith is amen because once i find out where this faith is i want to get my hands on it and i know if i can get my hands on it the bible promises that there is a victory, I can begin to live, live my life victoriously. And that's what I'm trying to do. You know why? Because I discovered that, you know, victory is better than defeat. I like sport, and I'll tell you that victory feels better than defeat. Amen? It feels better when your team wins than when they lose. Amen? And we achieve this victory through our faith. We discovered that faith is not magic. Say that after me. Faith it's not magic. We also discovered that faith is not mysticism. Say that after me. Faith, faith. <laughs> is not mysticism. It's not. We also discovered that faith is not a phenomenon. Say that after me. Faith, faith. is not a phenomenon. Right. You know, I used to think faith is this, you know, iry, weary thing that happens. You know, when you're singing the fast songs and then you get into the slow ones and you get dizzy. As you get dizzy, there's a goosebump that comes on you and oh, faith is here. Let's do some work. And then you start working the faith. That's not faith. Faith is a law. Let's go to Romans chapter number 3, verse 27. Faith is a law. Romans chapter number 3, verse 27 in the New King James, please. (coughs) Thank you, Jesus. King James, whichever one you like. He says where he's boasting, then, he's talking about our salvation uh, by grace through faith. He says it is excluded by what law? Of works? No, not the law of works, but by the law of faith. I didn't hear that. Law of faith. So faith is a law. What that means is faith works with certain guiding principles that make it work all the time to achieve the same results all the time everywhere. Amen? Just like the law of gravity. If I held a book right now in front of you and I let go of it, what do you think is going to happen to that book? It's going to fall to the ground. None of you took you know, a few minutes to think about it. You know why? Because we're thinking in line with a law called the law of gravity, which says everything that goes up must come down. And similarly, uh, you know, there's a law called the law of faith, which works All the time. And not only that, there is a law called the law of faith, which can produce a life of victory. You know, in the aviation, uh, they have what is called the law of aerodynamics. They have the law of lift. You know, they have the law of drag and the law of thrust and so on and so forth. And using these guiding principles, a pilot can tell you, if I get into this uh, 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 pressurized aluminum tube, I can, you know, drive down the runway at a certain speed. When I thrust the lever, this bad boy has no choice but to take off. And he can tell you, a pilot can tell you, it works in Zimbabwe, it works in Mexico, It works in California. It works in Cape Town. It doesn't matter where it is. You know why? Because it's a law. Amen? And similarly, the law of faith does not choose. That's why he said, for every child of God, I would add in there, every child of God everywhere can live a life of victory. Amen? Because we apply the law of faith. We discovered that this law uh, works with certain ingredients that make it activate or come alive. And uh, these ingredients were, number one, you must understand the supremacy of God's word. The Bible is not a collection of history facts. It is not uh, a bunch of opinions. The Bible is God's word. It is God's love letter to you. It is God speaking directly to you. Amen? And when you receive it with that understanding that it carries authority, Man, your faith begins to work. Amen? Number two, we discovered that God's love is the one that makes our faith work. So if you didn't listen to any of these teachings and you want to check them out, uh, you can go to our podcast, our website. You'll be able to check out all these teachings uh, for the ingredients that make faith work. Number two was, it is God's love that makes faith work. When you discover how much God loves you, effortlessly, your faith begins to work. Amen? You must realize that God loves you so much so that if you were the only person, I'm about to get radical. Now, I like to get radical. If you were the only person on the earth realm, Jesus would have still come to die for you. See, people don't have a problem with Jesus dying for their neighbor. They don't have a problem with Jesus dying for their brother because after all, he's the genius. He's the one who passed my with flying colors. They don't have a problem with that. But when you tell them, Jesus would still come and die for the one you see in the mirror. They say, hold up, pastor. You don't know who I am. I'm a bad person. No, Jesus would have still come to die for you because he loves you. Amen? Amen? And his love for you is agape. It's unconditional. Until you get to that point. I'm not talking about the bumper sticker level where you just, you know, have on your car, Jesus loves me. Or on your fridge, you know, Jesus loves me. I'm talking about at a heart level, you know, Jesus loves me. Your faith begins to work. Amen? And you can go and check out that teaching in, on the website. We also discovered that we access grace, the grace of God, through faith. So you have to understand that uh, these two uh, work together. Number four, last week we discovered that you have to understand your righteousness in Christ, that Jesus came and paid for your sin on the cross. And when you understand the value of the cross, when you understand that the cross, at the cross, was a divine exchange, the cross Is not Jesus showing us a way of life. You know, I read a tweet. Someone said uh, last week, uh, uh, now that Jesus has gone to the cross, now it's your turn to go to the cross now. You must now face up to your cross. And I said, that was never the point. Jesus went to the cross so that you could never, you would never have to go to the cross. Amen? So you could walk scot-free. And when you understand that Jesus took all your sin, He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin was made to become sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Man, you realize that I am the righteousness of God. In fact, I'm going to push you to say this. Someone shout, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You see, because your righteousness is a gift. Your righteousness is not earned. So righteousness is a gift. It is putting your confidence and your trust in the payment that was made on the cross. And it was a big payment. It covered all your sin, past, present, and future. The reason why a lot of people can't function in faith is because the enemy has been bringing accusation to them. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And for the most part, he's accusing them of the things that they have done. And they don't realize now that their relationship with God has got nothing to do with the things that they do or don't do. So they get tripped up because he tells them, you know what, you were angry at your kids yesterday and you spanked them. You are a terrible parent. Who do you think you are now to think you can go and ask God to bless you or God to heal you or God for anything that you want? And it trips up your faith because it takes away boldness from you. But when you realize that your righteousness is based on what Jesus did, you become bold. Amen? The Bible says, let us therefore go into the throne room of grace. I almost feel like saying a Shona sure word. Yeah, Amen? You have to go into the throne room of right, right in there where you can obtain help in times of need. I mean, the people in the Old Testament couldn't do it. Amen? But when you go Based on what Jesus did on the cross, you can go right into the presence of God. Amen? And when you understand that I am the righteousness of God, not because of what I did or didn't do, you will become bold in your faith. Amen? And that's what we talked about last week. And today we're talking about the law of confession. One of the ingredients that make your faith work is learning how to talk. A lot of Christians that don't know how to talk. Amen? Let's go to Mark chapter number 11, verse 11. Mark 11, verse 11. It says, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple when he had looked round about all things, and now the evening tide was come. He went out unto Bethany. Bethany is called the house of figs. He went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they had come to Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, He found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. I wish I could talk about that. But verse 14, and Jesus answered and said unto him, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. It's interesting that it says in verse 14, and Jesus answered it. If you're reading in the New King James Bible, it says, and in response, Jesus said to it, In response. Why? Because the tree had said something to him. Brothers and sisters, I want to assure you that there are things out in the world that will speak to you. Sometimes your bank account will speak to you. Amen? Sometimes your body will speak to you. Amen? There are things around you that will speak to you, but you have to learn How to respond to things when the things speak to you. Amen? So in response, Jesus answered it and said, Let no one eat fruit from you here ever after, and the disciples heard it. What's interesting is that after Jesus finished speaking, nothing changed in the physical. And what's also interesting is that Jesus didn't say, My bad, my words didn't work. Actually, Jesus walked away, knowing that his words were now in effect. His words were now in operation. That's the power of the things that we speak, brothers and sisters. Let us go now to verse 20 to find out what happened. And it says in verse 20, And in the morning, as they passed, they saw the fig tree, the same fig tree, dried up by the roots. So when they came back 24 hours later, a lot of the onlookers may have thought, You know what? Nothing happened. I laid hands on the sick and nothing changed while I was still there. How do you know it didn't change when you left? 10, for some 8 hours, for some 12 hours, for some 24 hours. You see how it short circuits your faith when you start walking by sight and not by faith? See, because faith knows the words are in operation. Even if I don't see any physical manifestation, my words are still going to bring about any results. That's why Jesus, it's so gangster what Jesus said. He says, no man eat fruit of you uh, from here, from today onwards. And he walks away. And he didn't even negotiate with the tree. He walks away. You know what? Because he knew the power of words. And then when they came back, the Bible says the disciples saw the tree dried up from the roots. For them to use this phrase, I believe that by this time the tree was so dry it had toppled over and the roots were exposed. For everyone to see that this thing has dried up from the root. And then the disciples were puzzled. Watch what Peter said. And Peter calling to remembrance, verse 21, said unto him, Master, Behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. He didn't say it like that. He says, Master, look, the tree you cursed is now dry. Oh, look at that, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you're amazing. And it's interesting how Jesus answered. Jesus didn't say, yes, I'm amazing. I'm awesome. Don't you know I'm Jesus? Yeah. No, Jesus didn't say that. He said to them, have faith in God. Verse 22. He turned it around. He said, have faith in God. And not only that, he turned it around and said, verily I say unto you, you, if any man or whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Notice, Jesus had just cursed one tree. Now he turned it around and he says, whosoever shall speak to a mountain, a place full of trees. He says, you can speak to even more trees, a mountain. He says, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. It's interesting that he didn't say whosoever shall talk to God about the mountain. It's interesting that he says he didn't say whosoever shall talk to their friend at break time at work about the mountain. And, you know, just discuss the mountain. We'll make the mountain disappear. Essentially what he's saying, the mountain represents the challenges, the problems that life may present to you. God has already given you the authority. And you already have the faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When you say, "Have faith in God," he says, "Have the God kind of faith." And according to Second Peter 1 verse one, we already know we have that faith. According to Romans 12 verse3, he says, "God has dealt to every man the image of faith. So faith is not a problem because God has already given it to us. All we need to do now is to start using it. How do we use it? We use it by speaking and directing our words on the mountain. We use it by speaking to our problems. You know why? Because our problems have ears. You won't find a scripture that says you shall talk about your issues and your issues shall be solved. You won't, Thou shalt talk about your problem. Thou shalt talk. Of, Verily, I say unto you, you shall talk. You won't find that scripture. Amen. You'll find one that says you can speak to your problems and command them and tell them what to do. There's some people who don't get it. They love to talk about their problems. In fact, some people think I don't have problems. You know why? Because I never talk about my problems. Most people think, yo, Pastor T never has problems. No, I do have problems, but I've learned the formula. Talking about the problem is not going to change the problem. But talking to the problem will make the problem move and go away. Don't get comfortable talking about the problem. There are some people that all you need to say is, Hi, how are you doing? You already know. We're never commanded to do that. In fact, for the most part, when you do that, you're trying to get help from the arm of flesh. And when you do that, you short-circuit the system. This is why God, you know, when I was planting the church, God gave me an instruction. He says, as a pastor, Tafara, you should never, ever, ever put pressure on the people. Here's what you should do. Put pressure on my word. He says, when the pressure comes on, don't put the pressure on the people. Put pressure on the word. And when you put pressure on the word, guess what happens? Things change. Why? Because God watches over his word to perform it. Man, when the pressure hits, I go into the word. And turn the heat up a little, a little higher. Because the real issue is, I may be the one who's pulling away from the word. I may be the one who needs convincing that the word is true. So I can start walking in it. So he says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, the specific mountain, the specific problem, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, what will happen? Let's read those last six words together. Ye shall have whatsoever he says. That's a Bible principle. You have what you say. Why? Because what you say is what you believe. If you say, look at this mountain, man, this mountain is growing. Baba, Last week, this mountain was small, but look at it now. It's now two inches big. Oh, look at it. Oh, man, this thing. And it keeps growing because whatever you focus on grows. Oh, yes. But when you speak to the mountain and call it out, man, you've got to understand your words of authority. And your problems will speak to you first. Remember David and Goliath? David is in the valley approaching Goliath and is walking towards Goliath. And Goliath said, who is this little man that comes to me with stones and sticks? Am I a dog? And he's speaking these words to David. David knew better than that. David didn't turn around and say like his brothers and the rest of the nation of Israel, they were busy talking about the giant. David didn't go back to the camp and say, guys, I finally saw the giant. You should see his calf muscle. You know, David didn't talk about the problem. Do you know what David said? He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares to come against the armies of the living God? And he went on to prophesy his victory. That's the power God has deposited in your mouth. You can prophesy your own victory. He said, today... I will cut your head, kill you, and feed your carcasses to the birds. And when he finished saying that, the victory was won. A lot of people think the victory was won when he swung the thing and he threw the stone. That was just manifestation for the doubters. You know the ones who walk by sight? The ones who walk by faith knew the victory was won. The minute he finished saying what he, was, what he said, just like the tree dried up the minute Jesus... Finish saying what he said. What you saw the next day was just a manifestation. Your victory is won the minute you finish saying what you're supposed to say. And you've got to take God's word and put it in your mouth. Amen? amen. I said amen. amen. So he says to them, you shall have whatsoever you say. And this is a law of the kingdom of God that cooperates with faith. It says in Luke six forty five, a good man... Out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. And from the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. In other words, your mouth, for the most part, has no choice but to say whatever you put in your heart in large enough quantities. This is why you should stock up on victory. You should stock up on healing. You should stock up on peace. You should put it in large enough quantities so that your mouth has no choice but to speak. You know how we know what you truly believe? We just sit with you and listen to you talk. And we know exactly whether you believe what God says or you believe what you want to believe. Amen? And I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to get you to start cooperating with the grace of speaking and releasing life. It's not this name it or claim it, you know. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about using your mouth as a governing, uh, uh he called it a steering. You know, the Apostle James, he called it a rudder of a ship, a big ship that can take about 2,000 people. He says you can steer that thing with your mouth, the rudder. He says... We control horses with the bits in their mouth. A big horse, muscular thing. Sometimes they weigh up to, you know, 1,000 pa- uh, one, uh, uh, kgs. And that thing, you can control it with the mouth. Just like your life. It may be going crazy right now, but I can guarantee you, you can begin to direct amen. your life through your mouth. Amen. Through the words of your mouth. Amen? amen. I said Amen. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 verse 13. Faith never speaks the problem, it speaks the solution. It says in 2 Corinthians 4 13, we having the same spirit of faith. Someone shout, I have the spirit of faith. Spirit. Now, how do you activate that? How do you demonstrate you have the spirit of faith? He says, We having the same spirit of faith with the disciples, same spirit of faith with Jesus, same spirit of faith with all of the saints. That went before us. It says, we have the same spirit of faith according as it is written. This is how they used it. I believed and therefore have I what? Now, this is a declaration. Let's read it together. We also believe and therefore. Come on, let's read it one more time. We also believe and therefore. What do we believe? We believe we are victorious. And therefore, we say we are victorious. We believe we are prosperous, and therefore we say we are prosperous. We believe we are the redeemed. Let the redeemed say so. You must say something. Amen. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe just like they believed, and therefore we speak just like they spoke. That's the formula. Believe and speak it. Whatever you believe, you will speak. Remember the 12 spies which were sent to spy the land? The first 10 came. They really believed they were not able. They believed that, and that's what they said. They said to the people, man, we went and we spied the land, and uh, we are not well able. We are not equipped. Uh, You know, just like some of you, we are not qualified. We are not the right color skin. We are not the right color education. We are not the right age. We are not the right... You know, you can go on and go on. People say, disqualify themselves. God never told anyone they were not the right anything. You won't find that scripture. But people come back and they say, you know what? We were just like grasshoppers. In fact, that's what they said in verse 33. They said, we were grasshoppers in our own eyes, in our own hearts. And so were we in their eyes. So what they should have worked on was changing the way they saw themselves. And if they changed the way they saw themselves and started believing right, believing God's word, they would change that would change what they say, and it would change their reality. So all I'm saying, child of God, is begin to speak possibility, begin to speak advantage. Never use your words to your disadvantage. Use your words to your advantage. Well, Pastor T, what if it doesn't look like it? For the most part, it's not going to look like it. You have to change what it looks like with the words of your mouth. You have to change the atmosphere with the words of your mouth. Amen? Amen. That's what faith is. Faith speaks the word of God in the midst of a challenge or of a situation. Let's go to Proverbs, chapter number 18, verse 21. They say, sticks and stones may break my bones. But words will never harm me. Anybody, anybody ever heard that? Man, words will kill you. Words will destroy you. Amen? It says in Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life. Someone say death and life. It says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Someone once asked me, why do you always say someone say this? And I said, because I would have spotted someone who's sleeping. So when you hear me say, you know, say something, it's not that, you know, you know I'm saying Say something. But there's just someone we need to wake up. Amen? So, someone say death and life. <laughs> now you know what it's for. <laughs> in winter, there's going to be less of them. Amen? <laughs> People stay awake. It says death and life are in the power of the government. No. Of the ANC. No. Or the EFF. Or the D-A. Or the A-C-D-P. No. He didn't say that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Nothing is more extreme than death and life. Well, at least where we are in this world, on the earth. Nothing is more extreme than death and life. Either you are dead or you are alive. There's no, you know, you know. I was in between seeing if I could, you know, you're either dead or you're alive. It's extreme. When you're dead, you're dead. When you're alive, you're alive. And here, as extreme as death and life are, the word of God is saying both the extremity of death and the extremity of life is resident, to control it now, in the power of the tongue. God made it so that your tongue can control both death and life, in other words, you can use your mouth to drag stuff all the way from the extremity of death over here to the extremity of life. And you can also use your tongue or your words or your mouth dragging stuff that was flourishing, dragging stuff that was growing Dragging stuff that was thriving in life, you can drag it from the extremity of life all the way to the extremity of death. And you can do this by what you say. Did I break it down nice enough? Man, your mouth, your words have power. To drag the very things that are working in your life. The very things that are flourishing. The very things that are thriving. You have the power resident in your mouth to drag those things to over here where they shrivel up and die. The power is in your mouth. So you can't be careless with your words. You have to watch every word that you speak. Amen? Because it will either bring stuff to life or it will bring stuff to death. And when you learn how to talk, you can drag all kinds of stuff from the death extremity to the life extremity. Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and used the same principle. Lazarus was on the other extremity of death. And Jesus stood and said, Lazarus, come forth with his words, with his mouth. He dragged Lazarus all the way from one extremity to where Lazarus came forth. That's how you release your faith through the words of your mouth. And that's how you release your doubt and death through the words of your mouth. Someone shout I choose to release life. I choose to use my words to my advantage. In my marriage. With my children. With my career. Man, don't call your children little crazy. You know, all those rest of the words that you call them? Man, call your children blessed. Call them leaders and not followers. Call your children what you want to see in their lives. Take the word of God and begin to speak it over them. I was reading Psalm 112 the one time and I saw the scripture promising that to your seeds, your seeds shall be successful. Now I have a little girl who's six years old and she was struggling with swimming lessons. I mean, I I understand because the whole clan of mine hadn't taken a swimming lesson. You can look at the whole family tree, man, I can bet you you won't find one person who can swim? <laughs> so she was struggling. And she would go in that class, and man, she would cry and just kind of made me feel embarrassed looking at all the other parents, man. They Man, it's my one who's making the most noise, and she's just, she just doesn't want to be there. And the teacher is really trying hard. Chukutrain, she's not listening, man. She doesn't want to hear a thing. And man, I started speaking Psalm 112 over her. Every time I would go to the swimming pool, driving with her in the car, say, Father, I thank you that my daughter is successful both on the land and in the water. Because <laughs> it's easy to be successful on the land. <laughs> And I, remember, I pray, I thank you, Jesus. And I'm telling you, it didn't happen overnight. I had to consistently say it. The Bible calls it holding on to the confession of your faith. You keep saying it until you see what you want to see. Amen. I kept saying it until she started enjoying. I could see there's a turning around. She started enjoying swimming. Amen. And, man, she started enjoying it, and it was a blessing. When the second one came, we knew exactly what to do. We started speaking it over her before we even got to the pool. When we got there, man, she loves swimming so much. She's the best student in her class. Amen. In fact, we were the first parents to get out of the water. Mm. Do you know that when you have your children, when they start, you get in with them? and <laughs> You have to take off your shirt and everything, man. You just get in there with the pool <laughs> with them. And we were the first parents to get out. What happened? I started speaking life over them. Man, don't speak negativity over your children. Speak life over them. Amen? And they may be acting contrary to what you are saying, but you hold on to the words of your faith. You don't change your confession. Because those words are working. Because the power of death and life is resident in your tongue. What you talk to each other. What you share in your house. The Bible says, let your conversation or your communication be seasoned with salt so that you may minister grace to the hearer. It says you must consider every word you speak one to another as husband and wife. You know, I was at the gym the one time and I'm training and uh, this one guy was next to me training on the bench next to me. And uh, two guys started talking, and the other guy started saying to the other guy, man, that, that woman that I married, man, she's a witch, man. That, I don't know if she... I mean, he was going in. And I mean, he was saying she's dumb. She's, she's just like her mother. She's crazy. And I mean, he's going in. By the time he finished talking about her, do you know what kind of picture I had of this woman? A red uh, suit with a pitchfork. But here's what's interesting. Someone else calls this same woman best friend. Someone else can't wait to hang out with this woman. Amen. What's what's up with the dude? The dude is getting exactly what he's confessing. Because he shall have whatsoever he says. The best friend calls her lovely. He calls her her confidant. He says, man, I can't wait to hang out with her. You know why? Because she's my best friend. And every time I'm with her, I live encouraged. And guess what the best friend gets? Whatever she's saying. I'm trying to help you. I really am. And you've got to watch what you do with the words of your mouth. Because they create after themselves. Amen? They even create atmospheres. Did you know that? Words create atmospheres. As a pastor, you know, I get to visit uh, uh, with people in their homes and stuff. I don't really enjoy that because I like to be in my own house and stuff. (laughs) Amen? I'm just saying. But I'll come if you invite me. But, you know, I I like to stay in my house. But sometimes I get to visit with people. And because, you know, the pastor, they they usually put on the best show. You know, the house is usually a little extra clean and food and so on and so forth. They sometimes I've walked into houses where you can tell they've just had a fight. Some of you say, how do you tell? I don't know. But you just walk in and the atmosphere is a little tense. They're, they're trying hard. They're smiling. Oh, pastor, welcome. <laughs> but there's just something. man. Anybody? anybody, ever, You know, you, you're like, man, the food is nice. Everything seems to be where it's supposed to be. But there's some cloud hanging over us. You know why? That's what words do. They create atmospheres. That's why we must use words that are seasoned with thought. My wife and I, there are certain words we'll just not use. On each other or on the kids or, or, you know, on anyone. We just don't. I was talking, I was listening to reading an article on Facebook. Some of you may have seen it. It says that uh, because we have two little Google speakers. I don't know if you know Google speakers that, you know, with artificial intelligence and so on and so forth. And uh, so they can play music. They're really cool, man. You should should check them out. And uh, so this speaker, you can tell it what to do. You can ask questions and it will give you all kinds of nice things. So uh, someone posted something and they said, man, did you know that the people at Google uh, listen to your conversations, you know, when you have this Google speaker because it's connected to the Wi-Fi. And I was like, praise the Lord, they are going to get saved. (laughs) They thought I was going to panic. I have no secrets. What you see is what you get. You know, I don't have government secrets. I don't have intelligence, you know, CIA stuff. The only thing we ever share with each other is the word. And on Thursday night, praise God, listen in. You can join us for live group. I said, man, you listen to our conversations, you're going to get saved. And I wish every Christian could say that about their household. Invite the Amazon Echo speaker people to listen in on your conversation and tell them, that you're going to get saved if you listen to the conversation in this household. Amen. I said, amen, and that's why he says, use words that are seasoned with thought. Let's read Ezekiel 37, 1 to 6, and then we close. I wish we could go to Luke, uh, but my time is uh, fast spent. Quickly, he says in Ezekiel 1, 37, the hand of the Lord was upon me, carried me into the spirit of the Lord, then set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. Someone say, full of bones you know what just happened, and caused me to pass them around about, and behold, there were very many, someone say very many, in an open valley, and Lord, they were very dry, someone say very dry, so these bones were full of them in the valley, and there were very many, and they were very dry, this represents a situation of total hopelessness and impossibility, Some of you this morning find yourself standing in a valley, in a place where you look around and all you see is death. All you see is hopelessness. And all you see is impossibility. What do you do in a situation like that? Let's read on. Verse 3. And the Lord said to me, Son of man, can these bones live?" And I answered, Oh Lord, you knowest. Wrong answer. You know, just like some of you, God is asking you, can this be turned around? And you're saying, only God knows. Only God knows. (laughs) Wrong answer. How do we know it was the wrong answer? Because God then told him to do something else. That's different from what he was saying. He says in verse uh, 4, And again, he said unto me, what did he say? Prophesy. Someone say prophesy. prophesy. He says, speak to these bones. That's what prophecy means. It means to speak to your situation. He says, prophesy upon these bones and do what? Say unto them. He didn't say, go back to Israel and tell them about what you saw. He says, speak to these bones. Prophesy to your situation of hopelessness and impossibility. And say unto these bones, all ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you, and bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ezekiel, as he began to speak these words over these bones, the Bible says the bones began to come together. There was a rattling. The bones began to come together, find each other. Before he knew it, there was a Bone structures, standing, skeletons of human beings. Before he knew it, there was flesh that came upon it. He prophesied flesh. He spoke skin. There was skin upon these bones. He spoke breath into them. There was breath. Before he knew it, a situation of hopelessness was a thousand strong soldiers. Alive and thriving, ready to do battle. How did he turn that around? He spoke what God told him to speak. Listen, we are not teaching about positive affirmation. I'm not saying, say something nice. Because that's what positive affirmation is. It says, just get out of your house and say it's a beautiful day. There's some benefit to that. But what I'm saying is, speak the word of God. Take the word and put it in your mouth. Why? Because he watches over his word to do what to it? To perform it. God is watching over his word, not opinions. Not how bad it looks. All you have to do is to put God's word in your mouth. And God says, I watch over it to perform it. And before he knew it, there was an army standing surrounding him. Amen? Let's go to Luke 1, 11 to 22. Luke 1, 11. Can I preach for two more minutes? Two more minutes. It says in Luke 1, 11 to 22, And they appeared unto him an angel. The angel appeared to a guy called Zachariah or Zacharias, And uh, Zacharias was married to Elizabeth, and they were old uh, in age, and uh, they'd never had a child. And, uh, you know, uh, Elizabeth was barren, and they'd been praying to God to have a child. So when the angel came, he was coming to answer um, uh, Zacharias' uh, prayer. And it says in verse 12, And when Zacharias saw the angel, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call him John. You know who this John is? Uh, John the Baptist. So he was getting ready to have a radical child, a radical son who was going to transform nations. He, You shall have joy and gladness. Many shall rejoice at his birth, and he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the... Children of Israel shall turn to their God and ye shall go before him in spirit in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts and the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Notice the angel is already speaking and prophesying about John while John is still in the womb. Amen. See, my wife is so fanatical about this. We're, both our kids, when we had them, she would speak to herself and prophesy to, the, to them while she was still pregnant. And she would say, you are well, changed. You are blessed. Amen. You eat well. You sleep well. You do this. You do this. She would make these confessions. And I think she put some of those confessions in her book, uh, Design Your Life With Your Words, right at the back. It says confessions when you're pregnant to speak to your child. You know, you don't say, oh, this one gives me... Uh, uh, What are they called? Uh, Pains. This one gives me cramps. This one, uh, this one. No, man, you speak glad tidings over them. Amen? Is this too real? There was laughter, man. It's like, man, I've heard this. Man, you speak life over them. Amen? Amen. I said amen. amen. And that's what the angel is showing us here. He's speaking life. Over John the Baptist, this is what he's going to do. He's going to bring gladness to the people. He's going to change. In fact, when our first and our second one was born, I was both both of them born in the theater. I was there with my wife. And the first time I held them, I already knew what I was going to speak over them. I had a speech for them. Amen? And this speech was not complaining. This speech was speaking prophetically over what I wanted to see in their lives. Amen? And and God has given us that, that opportunity to do that. Now, verse 18, after the angels finished speaking all these glad tidings to him, Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man. He started pointing out to his facts, what was going on around him. He says, For I am an old man. My wife is well stricken in years. There's no money coming. We haven't been paid. The invoices are overdue. Some of you speak this way over your business. You know, we may close. We may shut down. We may have to lay down people. What you're doing is you're speaking what's going on instead of speaking what the Word of God says. You won't find that scripture. Amen? amen. That says you're going down. You won't find that scripture. That says you will not have means. You won't find that scripture. What you should do is speak what the Word is saying. Can I get an amen? amen? What verse is that? So you starts speaking the facts. My wife is old. I'm also old. And the angel answering him said unto him, verse 19, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and I am sent to speak to you and to show you these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb. We don't speak like that in 2019. Let's read it in the New King James Bible. I want you to see what happened. Verse 20. Behold, you will be on mute. So the angel came with a remote. And because the guy was talking all kinds of stuff, you put him on mute. Can you imagine? He says, behold, you will be on mute. You will be mute and not able to speak. Man, I wish, I wish the angel was still around to do some of this, you know? Because some people, when they get a, an awesome, glorious word from God, a prophetic word or whatever, for what God has called them to do, They shut it down themselves. They sabotage that word for saying words that are contrary, that are directly opposing that prophetic word. And we think it's humility. No, it's not. You're destroying the prophetic word. Amen? Amen? I don't care what it looks like. Stick with the prophetic word. I'm sure God knew that the man was old and the wife was old before he said what he said. I'm sure God had considered your metric grades before he told you the prophetic word. I'm sure God had considered all of that. But he still gave you that word knowing that that word would still come to pass. But we like to go back and, you know, look at the physical and see what the physical is saying. And he says because of that. Now, if Zechariah's words had nothing to do with the birth of John the Baptist, why put him on mute? If your words have got nothing to do with it, because some of you may say, I can say whatever I want, it's got nothing to do with anything. If that was the case, why make him stop talking for the nine months? Because even he could have stopped the birth of the very one who was coming to introduce our Messiah. The one who would baptize him. With his words, he could have sabotaged all of that. So the angel put him on mute until these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Same angel, after he left Zechariah's house, went to Mary's house, same chapter, and said to her, you're going to give birth. And she said, she didn't say in, 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 in rebuking and in rejecting the prophetic word, she was just inquisitive. How will that happen, seeing I do not know a man? And then the angel gave a brief, unscientific explanation. There's no science in it. But I like her faith. You know what she said afterwards? Be it unto me according to your word. That's how we should speak. Why don't you stand on your feet? Did that help you? Someone shout, my mouth is my weapon. (coughs) I will use my words to my advantage. I will use my words to create life. I will not use words (coughs) to my disadvantage. Every word that proceeds out of my mouth shall be seasoned with salt. Full of life. Chuck full of the word of God. In Jesus name. I speak healing to the sick. I speak prosperity to the poor. I speak strength to the weak. Isn't that what he said in the book of Joel? Remember what he said? He said, let the weak say, I am strong. strong." Remember what he said in the book of Job, chapter number 22? He says, when there is a crashing down, we say there is a lifting. Amen? We don't say, look, it's going down. No, we say there is a lifting. What do we do? We confess what the word say. What do we do? We confess possibility. What do we do? We confess positivity. And I'm telling you, we need to come into a season where we realize these truths and start using them and taking advantage of the things that God has already given us. Amen? Someone shout, I'm a victor, I'm a victor. not a victim. Someone shout, I'm God's workmanship created for good works. My body keeps well. Every organ, every cell, every tissue functions to the perfection. I possess divine health. Even in winter, I will have divine health. This one is for the ladies. Even in pregnancy, I possess divine health. Amen. Man, you have possessed you possess divine health all the days of your life. It's not winter season. It's not flu season. It's not time to get sick. No, it's not. It's healing season. It's health season. Amen. That's how we possess. That's how we confess. Speak what the word says not what the situation looks like. Amen? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that this word deposited in all of our hearts will not depart. Lord, we thank you that it will bring forth fruit to some 30, to some 60, and to some 100 fold. Lord, I thank you that as these, your dear children, leave this place, they will live as carriers of life. They will live As carriers of the good news, the glad tidings, and as they sit with their family, some with their work colleagues, some with the people that they will come into contact with, Lord, I thank you that the only thing coming out of their lives, oozing out of their lives, coming out of their mouth is life and life in abundance. Lord, I thank you that this week will be the manifestation of the greatest week they've ever been experienced this far. Lord, I thank you that this is the greatest week that they've ever experienced this far. And this far, because next week is even going to be greater. And Lord, we thank you and we give you all the praise. It is in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Well, we love you. God bless you. And remember these words from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.